Welcome back to another edition of the Edge Podcast. Publisher Brendan Slaughter here for BeaversEdge.com. Joined by Beavers Edge recruiting analyst Dylan Callahan Crowley. We're coming to you guys uh, just a week after Oregon State's late signing period. We got a whole bunch of stuff recruiting-wise to get into. Uh, Later in the podcast, uh, TJ Mathewson and uh, Ryan Harlan will join us. We're going to talk some uh, women's basketball with the Beavers surging on the hardwood. And then we're also going to talk a little baseball uh, with the uh, baseball season kicking off this week. But uh, again, we're going to go ahead and start with some recruiting coverage right here at beaversedge.com thanks for everyone for listening to the podcast dylan how are things with you my man getting a little uh much needed r&r after uh the crazy uh busy month month plus really basically since the end of the season it's been non-stop for oregon state so a moment to collectively catch our breath man how you been uh, i've been good i can't complain it's uh you know we're i can't believe we're halfway through february oh, I know. already but uh uh, you know, football season's finally wrapped up with Super Bowl this past Sunday. Uh, and uh, I, I'm ready. I'm kind of ready for baseball season to start here now. So, yeah, excited, excited for this weekend. Uh, and, of course, uh, Major League Baseball teams are reported this week now. So uh, I'm I'm ready for the spring. Yeah, uh, and I'm sure in a couple months I'll be ready for football season again. But going to enjoy the R&R for a little bit. No doubt. And spring football, obviously, going to start uh, first week of March. So we're going to get a chance to look at Trent Bray's new squad here, basically right around the corner, too. It feels like uh, he just got hired and we were going through all that. And here we are in spring. So that old saying, uh, life moves fast, uh, definitely. And uh, Dylan have to go out and throw throw out and say uh, congrats to the Chiefs, as you mentioned it. I was pulling for him, so I was happy to see Mahomes win. Sorry if anybody else in the pod was pulling for the Niners. But, uh, yeah, it turned out to be – Quite the uh, quite the game on uh, on Sunday. Great way yeah. to close out football season. Uh, I, I mean, uh, is there any other way you'd rather a season end than the uh, best uh, quarterback in the world? Uh, you know, at least attempting to make a yeah. final drive or oh, two yeah. drives. I mean, that that's that's how you want it to end. You want to you want to see the quarterbacks uh, go for the win and definitely, uh, and definitely. Patrick Mahomes once again, you know, steps up when it matters. That, Absolutely. That, that go- the goat argument is going to be very interesting in a couple yeah. of years, when, well, about a decade or so from now when he retires. But for uh, sure. let's get a recruiting. There's yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, uh, as 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 you mentioned, you know, Oregon State uh, obviously finished their signing class last week. We talked about it at BeersEdge.com, and we obviously yeah. have a a full uh, signing day Q and A with Trent Bray up on the website too from last week. So definitely go check that out. As we had an exclusive uh, phone call with Trent Bray, it was awesome to get to talk to that guy yeah. for a few minutes. Um, I'll just say this. Yeah, just say this uh, right off the bat, like Dylan, he he's just a great guy to talk with, you know, and and that's the one thing I wanted to throw out there first, just from my experiences. Obviously, we talked to him in a. Uh, this was my first time talking to Trent one on one, right? We were always in defensive coordinator huddles or whatnot, or even at his opening press conference with so many people there, you know. From that perspective, I can see why he would be you know, someone a recruit would want to talk to because this, like, this was something where for 30 minutes, um, I would, you know, it was a very super engaging conversation back and forth. And not to say that the previous guy wasn't, you know, wouldn't have been the same, but Trent Berry's got a little more personality than Jonathan Smith does. And I, I think that's kind of showing so far and we're kind of seeing how he puts his imprint uh, on the program and on the staff itself. And uh, let's go ahead and use the staff segment, Dylan, to go ahead and talk into the recruiting. Now it really seems to me like Trent Bray surrounded himself with extremely good staffers, both 
uh, schematically football wise and also really good recruiters. Uh, let's talk about Kyle Devan and the offensive line. It feels like the Beavers have been able to kind of maintain uh, that recruiting level we saw under Jim Mahalchuk so far early. They're extending into 2025 pretty well. Uh, what's been impressive to you so far uh, as we obviously wrapped up 2024 and uh, start looking at 2025 where they got some kids, you know, visiting, looking at it and all that? Yeah, so I'll, I'll start out by saying um, that I, I think with Kyle Van, it's not going to be the recruiting that makes uh, that that determines how good of a of a successor he is. Sure, but can the development be too near the same level? It's going to be hard to match that level because of how you know we we all know how great the Beavers offensive line has yes, been. Yes, very much uh, so. But if I think that'll be the bigger challenge going forward. That being said. Kyle Devan, the rest of the staff that Trent Bray has built, it is clear that Bray built a staff that was strong in a relationship building, which mm-hmm. of course is one of the key key things when it comes uh, to uh, recruiting. Um, apologies, uh, wife texted me, um, but uh, oh, good! It it is Valentine's Day after all, so yeah, we're, we're recording Valentine's this podcast Day. on a Wednesday. So got, gotta, gotta, gotta keep happy house. happy wife, happy life. But yes, back to your point, Dylan. Yes, gotta stay out of the doghouse. Um, <laughs> but uh, Kyle Devan, yeah, uh, and the entire staff so far. I, I'm hearing great things. Thomas Ford, we've heard great things. Yes, as well. very much. These so. are very very strong relationship guys. Guys who are going to be able to connect with these players mm-hmm. a lot, uh, and we're, and we're seeing. Well, I have most staff to do, but we're seeing Trent Bray and the staff really work in key areas. Um, sure. Got, you know, uh, Ford has been really working hard in Washington and the Seattle areas where he has a lot of connections and has built a lot of those, uh, a lot of those relationships. Right. Um, we've seen a lot of this. We've seen the staffers with LA connections uh, like G- Gunderson go down to LA and work there. Hayward's been working down right. there. Went on the trail. Obviously, it's a dead period right now, so everybody's back in Corvallis. Right. But went on the trail. Um, Kyle Devan's been spending time a little bit everywhere, but a lot of Arizona right now. Um, I'm going to butcher it because um, I'm, I'm terrible with Polynesian names. Uh, Eliza Tuiaki. Yeah, yes. yes. Thank Tuiaki. you. Yes. 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 Uh, I, was, I, was, I was waiting for you to save me. Yeah. Tuiaki. Sorry. I, I didn't know. I was like, okay, I think he's talking about Coach Tuiaki. Yes. 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 It, it is. It, yeah. It took me a minute to get it to. Only reason I've got it pronounced is because when he was here back in 2016. But yes, uh, Coach Tuiaki. Yeah. What? Once I hear a few times, I'll get yeah. it. But yes, Coach it, Tuiaki. Yeah. He's spent most of his coaching career in Utah. He's been spending a ton of time on the recruiting trail in Utah. So they're really, you know, finding their strengths and yeah. they are uh, ex- trying to execute on those strengths when it comes to recruiting trail and God of Ann, uh, who we'll talk about in a few minutes uh, has, I, I think done an excellent job so far. Uh, and we, we've been seeing him build his board right. on the offensive line here more so than any other position. Uh, Cause the staff, you know, yes, there are guys from the staff that are holdovers from the last staff. So some of the board is still remains the same, but a lot of it's going to be a new board. Uh, right. So uh, we're still in the early stages of that big board per se for the Beavers coming to fruition. Uh, but uh, God Van has definitely probably been uh, at the forefront of that development here over the last couple of weeks. Right. And a couple of things I wanted to follow up with you on Dylan, just to, yeah. just to kind of get your thoughts on one, you mentioned Ryan Gunderson. Do you yeah. think, and obviously when we talked to Trent Bray, he said they don't have a lot of room left, but 
A unique thing is that because of Chip Kelly's departure, there could be guys from UCLA who enter the portal sure. and have that open sure. portal. Do you think there's a chance the Beavers could kick the tire? And I don't know off the top of my head, could kick the tires on anybody who could, you know, have a relationship with Gunderson and maybe move. That that was uh, the one of the first things I was I wanted to mention to you because. Uh, Chip Kelly obviously threw a big tidal wave across college football yeah. by leaving in February. Like that, that's quite surprising. I think it's, well, I guess when you learn more, it's not all that surprising that Chip Kelly was basically trying to get out in any way, shape or form uh, the last couple of weeks. But I'm curious if you think they could kick the tires on anybody uh, potentially leaving UCLA. Yeah, I think that's interesting because, most of the time, I would say yes, and I still think there is a possibility that we see some departures from UCLA. But I do think going with Deshaun Foster, yeah, uh, I know he was technically with the Raiders at the time of hiring, but essentially an in-house hire because he was right. there this past season. And he seems to be very well beloved by that mm-hmm. locker room. I think that's going to help save UCLA in terms of seeing sure. the roster rated here in the transfer portal kind of kind of what we saw with the beavers obviously the beavers did lose some key guys in the transfer sure. portal but by hiring Trent Bray they were still able to keep around quite a quite a few big time right. contributors as well which I think was important I think it's going to be important for UCLA as they make their jump to the big 10 because uh, right. that was going to be that was going to be hard with Chip Keller or not and uh, if they lost you know a ton of their roster would have made it even tougher um, but yeah, I, I think it's definitely something to watch to see if anybody does enter transfer portal sure. from UCLA in the upcoming weeks or post spring. And uh, if, especially if they're on the offensive side of the ball, uh, it could make sense uh, to uh, right for the Beavers to kick the tires there. Yeah. And I, I again, don't know off look off the top of my head, but if UCLA happen to have a tight end. I know that would be something for Oregon State as they kind of are still a little thin there. Um, you know, outside of that, you know, maybe a receiver. Uh, I, I wouldn't expect them to take anybody offensive line, running back or, or quarterback, obviously. Um, another question I, I wanted to uh, ask you too, Dylan, as well is, you know, do you think from what you've seen so far, one of the bigger criticisms of um, Oregon State's defensive line was maybe the fact that um, Coach Lee Sorinoa did not necessarily – bring in a whole bunch of like the size was always something that was a bit concerning. The fact that coach Chuyaki was able to get some big size transfers in the off season. Do you think it's a stretch to say coach Chuyaki could be a better recruiter than coach Leahy was? No, I, I, I don't think that is a stretch. Um, I, I, I thought they have, they did a, a solid job in the past. They were in the defensive line, but it was never, um, one that you know, I was like, oh wow, this is like a really sure. impressive guy. Now Kelsey Howard, that was a big pickup for them. Yes, for last year, and yes. There, and there was big hits over time, but in general, it was you know it was solid but never great or elite. And yeah, at Oregon State, it's gonna be hard to do sure. great or elite on a consistent basis. But I, I think they under Coach Tuiaki, they do have a chance to really. Uh, improve in that area recurring the defensive line especially right. if he can create some sort of foothold in utah there's a ton of mm-hmm. defensive line and offensive line talent in the state of utah and if they could get a bigger presence there especially you know the salt lake city area which gonna be honest i'm not sure there's any other place kids really come out of in utah yeah. than salt lake city sure but if he can really solidify his spot uh, solidify foothold in utah 
uh, on the defensive line and for Oregon State. That would be huge. Um, and, you know, Oregon State has a huge Polynesian culture uh, historically right. on the football side of things, uh, especially. And I think if he can continue that culture building, it, it's yeah. only going to be beneficial because they'll be able to have that, that culture transcends state borders. That culture will take right. them to California, Nevada, um, Oregon. Washington, right. uh, anywhere up and down the Pacific, the Pacific coast, right? Sure. And that's the Hawaii. So I, I think, I think there's absolutely a chance that the defensive line recruiting can improve here. Uh, For under, sure. Uh, under the new staff. In general. For sure. Uh, a couple more things here uh, between Dylan and I, before we take a break and we bring on TJ Matthewson and Ryan Harlan to talk a little uh, Beaver baseball with the Beavers starting their season this week. And obviously talk about the women's basketball team, which is arguably surging and playing some of their best yeah. basketball in probably four or five years, probably pre COVID. So Scott Ruick's got his squad going. Um, Dylan, last couple things for you. Uh, one thing that I, from Trent Bray that really stood out to me is he mentioned that the defense and, uh, I obviously knew this, but I didn't put it all together at once when he said, you know, on the staff, we have three guys who were former defensive coordinators and really good at it. In Trent Bray, Coach Shuyaki was a defensive coordinator for BYU for many years. And then obviously Keith Hayward, defensive coordinator for multiple stops. How much does that help the defense, Dylan, having that much uh, it just elite defensive coaching ability on the side? Like, is it as significant as he says it is? Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, you can be tremendous recruiters, but if you can't develop or coach that talent, right, it, it's a waste of talent. Um, and I think we've seen that Trent Bray, uh, especially sure. uh, since he came back to Oregon and took over uh, has shown to be a terrific uh, talent developer and coach. He puts his guys in positions to win, uh, in positions to make plays. Sure. And I think that's going to be a trend that we see going forward with uh, defensive coordinator Keith Hayward and the rest of the defensive staff. Is there going to be hiccups along the way? I'm sure there will be. But I, I think, yes, absolutely, it is, is as big of a factor as Trent Bray is, is saying because we've seen plenty of teams out there who can recruit great sure. on the defense side of the ball but don't, aren't able to put it together. Um, Oklahoma, for example, uh, historically always has great players on both sides of the ball, never can put it together. Um, USC, we've seen plenty. Sure. great players can't put it together. So if you can't develop that town, if you can't coach that town or put that town in positions to make plays on a consistent basis, yeah, it's a waste of talent. And it's yeah. gonna, unfortunately waste. Uh, it could be a wait. It can end up wasting your season away as well if you're not able to do that. So I absolutely agree with Coach Bray in that aspect. For sure. And last thing for Dylan here is we, uh, we're going to go ahead and take a break and uh, uh, move over to the second half of our podcast. Let's talk a little bit about Eddie Freoff and Malachi Durant, Dylan. Yeah. Obviously, those two sure. receivers were the holdovers that did not sign from the early signing period. I want to throw in offensive lineman Jaden Tuia, who also signed, but specifically those two, Dylan. Uh, those yeah. guys didn't sign the first class. Malachi Durant was the bigger name, but Eddie Freoff obviously has great size and put up good numbers at a relatively small school in Bryanville. Um, I'm curious for you how big you thought that was. They were able to hang on to those guys. And do you think, like, for instance, do you think Jonathan Smith and Michigan State tried to go after either one of those guys? And do you think that, it, regardless, it was significant for Bray and company to hold on to both of them? Sure. Um, with Ma Malachi Durant, uh, I believe there was definitely some interest from Oregon State and, I mean, from Michigan State and, sure. and trying to steal Durant. Uh, Freeoff, uh, unfortunately, 
me and him have never been able to talk a ton in his recruitment. So mm-hmm. I really, I don't have a ton of insight on free off. And unfortunately that does happen. There's, there are a lot of kids out there that, you know, are very open to talking about everything. And some kids just like to keep things more personal, close to chest, which is obviously not, not that I take issue with. I, I totally get it. Um, but um yeah, to keep those two guys as part of your class, their class is absolutely huge. Uh, because you combine those two with Jordan Anderson, and that right. is a really terrific trio of wide receivers to mm-hmm. bring in. Anderson, obviously high four star. Um, I'm not sure where he ended up in our final rivals rankings. Um, let me pull it up. Uh, ended at yeah, no, he he. He was huge. And you talk about a guy who was committed to Oregon at one point and a guy who, you know, they were able to flip. We talked Trent Bray about Jordan Anderson, and he called that huge. Again, you can see his full comments uh, at Beaver's Edge at the uh, signing day Q&A with Trent. But, yeah, I mean, Jordan Anderson was huge. I mean, and then you throw in those other two guys. It's a solid. And then why not, Dylan, for the sake of argument, put in Darius Clemens, too, who we've mentioned on previous podcasts. That's a massive influx of wide receiver talent, and you needed it with Silas Bolden and Anthony Gould leaving. And this is why I going back to relationship, uh, relationship building, a relationship building skill for a coach is so important. It, it seems like every coach would have it, but the truth is not every coach has that. Oregon State's coaching staff right now does have that, and that's a big reason they landed guys like Anderson and Clement mm-hmm. out of the transfer portal because they had that relationship built from previously in the recruitment. Now Anderson is a little bit more recent but they had previously built relationships so when those players came back onto the market right in their respective fashions oregon state was in the position to make a play on both of them and they ended up you know g- getting two terrific high-end wide receivers that could really change the dynamics of that offense next season uh because both uh, should have an opportunity to make an impact in 2024 you had you know david martinez at mm. running back and, and you can start seeing it all come together for Oregon State on the offensive side of the football. The biggest question is just how the quarterback play will be. Right. It's, and unfortunately, that is also the question mark that will make or break the season. They brought in two guys we think are, you know, very high quality quarterbacks, but it's just one of those things that you really don't know what you're getting until, you know, week one of the 2024 season. And even then, it's, it's still going to be a question mark until they prove it yeah. over a handful of weeks. Sure. And absolutely. I mean, the spring football is going to be absolutely intense to see how that quarterback battle starts, obviously, between, you know, Giovanni McCoy, uh, uh, Jabari Johnson, um, and then Ben Gilbranson, obviously, and then uh, Trent Brace and Travis Throckmorton will also get a chance. So that'll be something to keep an eye on for sure as we enter spring football. And Dylan and I and the rest of the staff will obviously uh, be doing spring football preview podcasts as we get closer. I want to go ahead and thank Dylan for joining me on this edition of the podcast. We'll go ahead and take a quick break. We'll be back with uh, TJ Matthews and Ryan Harlan. We're going to talk a little Oregon State women's basketball and baseball to uh, wrap up this edition of the podcast. Dylan, uh, good talk with you as always my friend and make sure everyone uh, check out beaversedge.com to read the latest uh, from Dylan Callahan Crowley. Thanks man. Appreciate it.
Welcoming you back to the Edge podcast, publisher Brendan Slaughter here for BeaversEdge.com. Big thanks to Dylan Callahan Crowley as we just did our Beaver's Edge recruiting segment. But now bringing on the rest of the Beaver's Edge crew, TJ Matthewson and Ryan Harlan. Talk a little Oregon State women's basketball, some baseball, and maybe even a little spring football as we uh, are getting closer uh, to the start of uh, spring. But uh, welcome, guys. Good to talk with you. TJ, let's go ahead and uh, start with you, man. How uh, how are things and uh, how is uh, how's life down in Corbo, my friend? It's good. Just uh, we're keeping busy. I'm ready. I'm ready for baseball to start. It's going to be yeah. it's going to be good to get baseball to back and you know the basketball, especially the women's team, which we'll touch on here in a second, has done a done a good job of bridging the gap between football and baseball. But you know, what, what, while the weather might not necessarily be warming up yet, the baseball is uh, it's certainly getting here. But it's good, buddy. You're just uh, we're just keeping busy. Yeah, that's always good to hear. And and Ryan, obviously great to have you on. Haven't you haven't had you on the podcast since uh, we had Trent Bray hired. Feels like forever yeah. ago now. Uh, but good to have you on, man. I know uh, our Beavers Edge subscribers have been seeing you on the damn board and stuff. You've been helping us out with as well. Uh, how's life down in Corvallis for you, my friend? And uh, you uh, getting ready for the start of spring as well? Yeah, it, it's busy. It's also softball season started up and paying for attention sure. to that as well. Very excited to see uh, what Coach Berg does uh, this year. And, yeah, just women's basketball, keeping track of that. And baseball just around the corner. Um, Absolutely. Very, very exciting. I just wrote I just wrote a preview, actually, for for uh, for baseball season. So very, very much excited for uh, for yeah. uh, this weekend. Yeah. Oh, and, and Oregon State's gonna, supposed to be very good this year. Obviously, we'll talk a little mm-hmm. more baseball here in a minute. But, uh, uh, guys, we, we obviously have to start with, like, the biggest thing. We just want to make this whole podcast about Oregon State men's basketball, right? You, you got you guys down? We can we can we can talk about the uh, all, all the greatness that's happening there. Sorry, uh, I feel like that, that I feel Washington, like a, I feel like a shot was needed. Not gonna lie, that that Washington game was rough. Uh, that, yeah, I was there for that one. That that yeah. that that's what happens when you dig yourself into a twenty point hole at, at halftime. There, yeah. like it was just it was just not winning basketball that game. I mean, just to like this is all I'm gonna say on this before we get into women's basketball. Does anything sum up? how frustrating Oregon state men's basketball is than beating a top 10 team and then being absolutely dismal since. Well, beating a top 10 team, I think the bigger, the bigger thing there, Brendan was, I mean, I think it was even just the reception of the fans. They have less fans on Saturday after the top 10 win versus Arizona and the peak excitement. And you look at the crowd on Saturday, that Saturday, mm-hmm. it was 3,500 people. It was less than what showed up on Thursday. And it's disappointing. You would think something like that sort of captures some excitement. But even though the, the Beavers ended up winning that game, it, it really it just it didn't matter all that much. And and ultimately, I think it boils down to the, the inability to win on the road. Still have not won on the road this season. And right. that leaves you zero margin for error at home when you have an off weekend like they just had at home against the Washington schools. Right. You don't have the ability to to go on the road. I haven't shown the ability to go on the road and, and get any of those points back or even try and get a quad one, quad two win back because that's the it's you have a better opportunity of that on the road because there's a bigger, bigger window of that. And they just haven't they haven't been able to. And it's been disappointing in the you know, it, you could just you kind of feel the interest level waning a little bit. And it's and it's frustrating and it, and it stinks. And for, for everyone who's who's hoping more, I mean, this is still not what you want to see as the team's going down the stretch. No, and yeah. I'm curious. I'm curious your thoughts on that too, Ryan. What's kind of the student thoughts with Oregon State men's basketball right now? Is it still something where it's going to be student supported, or are students kind of like, eh? I, I think students are more in the man eh, kind of kind of uh, aspect. I mean that that Washington game, 
I was kind of just paying attention to what was going on in the court. Sure. And right next, to, I had somebody right next to me point out how how quickly fans were leaving uh, mm. Gill mm. with two, like it was around the two minute mark. I don't know exactly yeah. how much time was left on the clock. And TJ, you might know maybe better than I do on that, but I've never seen that many fans file out of Gill that fast. Um, and I think it's just more of a frustration of like, sure. It seems to be that this is this is where the poor performance comes from from the men's basketball program. It's just been disappointing season all around. And from what I know from people close to the team is either it, it, it's give some of the locker room dynamics are similar to that three and twenty eight season a sure. little bit. Guys are getting frustrated in there, and it's kind of showing a little bit out on the court, but. Um, I just kind of part of me hopes that they can turn it around before it's too late, but also at the same time from what they've shown on the road, not being able to win and this kind of off week that they've had, I, I don't know when that opportunity will arise with the back half of their schedule. Sure. And again, it's one of those things where I'm sure the, because uh, you know, barring something miraculous, I, I think we all know where this season is ending up. And I, you know, it would, I think it'd be fair to take a deep look at the Oregon state men's basketball program this off season. Um, will changes be made? I'm, I'm not optimistic, but you never know. So let's go ahead and get rid of the negatives guys and switch to the other locker room in Gill Coliseum, because those vibes that you talked about, Ryan could not be more far from the truth for the Oregon state yeah. women's team. They are surging 20 and three. They've won five in a row and have played themselves guys into the hosting conversation. Uh, that is important because uh, for those who don't know, obviously in women's basketball, if you were one of the top four seeds, you get to host the first two rounds at your home venue. So Oregon State has done this in the past where you would host the round of 64 and then the round of 32 at Gill Coliseum. The key beyond that is this year, Portland serves as the Sweet 16 and Elite 8 host for half of the NCAA tournament. Unlike men's where they break it into four different quads, Women's basketball, they do half the game, half the Sweet 16 Elite Eight games at Albany, New York this year, and half at Portland, Oregon. So, fellas, there is a path for Oregon State to have two games at Gill Coliseum and then have at least one, if not two games at Moda Center. Just talk about how big of an imp uh, just how big of a home court advantage that would be for Oregon State. Obviously, they do great packing Gill, but then to know that Moda's just right up the road, and I I'd be willing to bet that unlike you know, some of those attendance numbers at Oregon State men's basketball, Oregon State women's basketball would travel well and would, you know, show out pretty much at Portland. So obviously there's a lot of basketball left to be played, but you can kind of see a path where Oregon State could make a decent run in this tournament. You could see it, and it's not even set really which seed they're going to be so far. There's still plenty of needle-moving opportunities. Sure. They, you remember that first conference weekend of the season going down to L.A. and losing it's a tough. couple of very close games to USC and UCLA, and now back at home at Gill where they played you know, played well on both the road and at home, but playing at home has been to their advantage this season. If they, sure. they're able to get uh, a couple of these wins at home, it, it just it kind of boosts their resume a little more. And then there's one more opportunity again at home against Stanford later mm -hmm. on this season and then Cal, who they've already beat. And so there's just, there's still more opportunity on top of, of you know, the eventual Pac-12 tournament on top of that. So you can you can certainly see it and, and it helps in their final year with uh, a schedule that that's this loaded 
that they have the the resume boosting opportunities at home to to really take it home and then like you said play the first four rounds of the tournament essentially at home if they want to if they're going to if they're going to win those games they can play the first four rounds of the tournament at home and you know it's like it's almost like cheating but it, but it works out and it'll work yeah. out in the favor of, of the Beaver program, which is, I mean, that de- the defense lately has just been unbelievable. It, is, it, oh, it has been has. unbelievable to see what they have done on, on the defensive end uh, of the ball and, um, and, and playing at home certainly will, will play into that as the season goes along as they get into postseason. Sure. And, and again, you know, obviously you guys weren't, weren't here in Corvallis, but seeing what they've done, especially what they did to, to Utah and Colorado this last week, it reminded me so much of the Oregon State women's basketball teams that were elite. When I was at school, you know, um, they made their final four run, made several sweet, sweet 16 runs. And, and that's what they won it with was, was hard nosed defense. And then they, you know, would, would, get enough on offense to get, uh, you know, obviously get the victory. And it really seems like after, you know, COVID was really tough on this program. They had some departures. They had some, some, you know, additions that didn't work out. The ladies that transferred a lot of movement and, for for a while it wasn't necessarily great and then scott ruick had to kind of rebuild and retool and i think now just knowing guys that this team is as good as it is right now like what do you think when you realize they don't have a senior on this team like this team will be carbon copied barring anything crazy out of a you know transfer or whatever next year like that mean like that's really good to see that you're you're doing all this. You don't have a senior. Uh, again, got to shout out, you know, just Reagan Beer. She's been dominant in the middle. Uh, Tamea Gardner as well. I mean, they just seem like they're playing great basketball right now. And obviously that final score against Colorado looked a lot closer than it was. Brian, that game was over at like halftime. Like they were up yeah. by 20 at the half on the number four team in Boulder. Altitude, what? Yeah, no, I was, I didn't expect much from that game. I'm going to be quite honest. And it wasn't not like doubting this team at all. Uh, It's hard to win against top, top five teams twice. And so when I saw that they were up by 20, I I was kind of, I had to do a double take of, is this, is, is this box score accurate? (laughs) Right. I'm like, hold on a minute. But yeah, that game that the box score itself, the final doesn't do it justice. That game was pretty much over at halftime, and Ruick just you know needed to basically put 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 it in coast and yeah secure secure win right then and there. And I I also want to shout out uh one of my one of my classmates who is on the team, Sila Heidi, has been also playing really yeah. well too in relief of beers in the post. I think. Scott has has a lot of quality depth there with both um, Heidi Beers and yeah. Kelsey Reese, and it, it's worked out perfectly. It's worked out perfectly. On that same point, uh, Ryan, and obviously a uh, great, great inside info there. Obviously, Ryan's still uh, a student at Oregon State and gets to uh, obviously uh, mingle with uh, all these players and classes. Um, let's talk about the other side of that coin. We said, you know, the the vibe isn't great student-wise around the men's basketball team. Is there kind of a buzz around campus with the women's basketball team right now just with how well they've been playing recently and how, you know, we're we're, we're obviously nearing the end of the season, just, you know, six regular season matchups left, but as TJ mentioned, big games this week, huge games at home. Do you expect the the students to to get out there and support the women's team? I I definitely do. Uh I know from at least from my time here as a student those those games tend to have a lot women's games tend to have a lot higher attendance than sure. than the men's do and i think for how they've been playing over the stretch uh 
I definitely can see them packing Gill all the way to the to the rafters there. Just it, it's, I think with this how the season has gone, it's definitely one where uh, students are are a lot more excited about. I, mean, I know they have baseball kind of on the mind yeah, as we get sure. closer, but we got a couple weeks before before they play at Goss. But sure. I think that that excitement from this team and how they're playing and how how well of a roster Ruick has constructed and and developed so far over the course of this season and um that that's I, I think excitement would be is kind yeah. of maybe the wrong word to use just they're ecstatic they'll be yeah. ecstatic yeah uh, if, it's if this team can host absolutely and again like tj mentioned there's obviously some big games left they'll have an opportunity this week uh two top 10 matchups ucla usc um you know oregon state's been on a roll so it's one of those things where i don't think anybody wants to play the beavers right now and you know with with how well they're playing i really do think uh the sky is the limit heading into the postseason obviously you know the matchups this week tj mentioned stanford that's going to be another huge game but they've got them in corvallis so uh, lots of exciting moments for the women's basketball team then they have the obviously the Pac-12 tournament but as it stands now Oregon State is currently in that top four mix to host they have you know the the wins this last weekend really impressed the the you know bracketologists so to speak and uh, we've obviously got that up at beaversedge.com go check out and see where they're currently projected but uh, vibes are high for the Oregon State women's basketball team so definitely stay uh, locked to uh, them and beaversedge.com as we'll uh, continue to bring you guys coverage let's go ahead and uh, transition over to baseball fellas and uh, we got the uh, the season opener starting this week the Beavers going down to surprise Arizona they will be on the road for actually the first couple weeks uh, per the norm before returning to Goss Stadium the first weekend in March uh, TG let's go ahead and start with you obviously um, this you know Oregon State baseball last year obviously you know came up just a little bit short of their ultimate goal of trying to you know get to Omaha what do you think this year? Do you think, like, obviously their preseason consensus top 10 team across the board, um, even with a, a a loss of a pitcher, and we'll get into that in just a moment, um, it still seems like this is Mitch Canham's best team, I think. And it, it really seems like if, if I was picking eight right now, Oregon State would be in my preseason eight for Omaha. What do you like about this team to start, TJ? And then we'll uh, jump over to Ryan, who uh, talked to uh, Mitch Canham and the guys yesterday. Yeah, um, yeah. so I, I, if, if I were to pick an eight, or Oregon State would certainly be in that mix. I still do have the question if they're going to be able to pitch enough. Because mm. still, in the end of the day, you not only need you, – you not only need the – Top of the line starters, which the Beavers did not have last year. You need the depth behind them with a bunch of injuries that the Beavers had in the weekend rotation last year down the stretch and what right. they had to throw in the tournament. It was tough it against LSU. It was, it, it was, was so it tough. It wasn't quite enough. They ran out of they ran out of gas. They ran out of arms. They didn't have enough guys to pitch last year. And that's you know, and that's the question. And that's why losing Aiden Jimenez, it sounds like it happened in the fall. Yeah. Um, already and it was announced this week. Stinks. Like yeah. truly stinks that that. That is it, because he was supposed to be one of those guys. I mean, whether it was going to be starting or in the bullpen, Aiden Jimenez was going to have a role, and he was going to have a valuable role. So losing him sure. stinks. This lineup, Omaha quality, Omaha caliber lineup. This lineup, when you look at it, one through nine, might be uh, might be closer to the 2018 lineup than you think. Yeah, for the most and part. that like, and, and you just look at one through nine. Yeah, I mean, we had Travis Bazana two weeks ago. Call Brady Castro, who's going to hit in the bottom three of the lineup. Yeah. 
it, the words out of Travis was on his mouth was Brady Casper is going to be one of one of the best baseball players in America this season. And I'm looking at the, okay. the, the Beavers okay. lineup. I'm looking at the Beavers lineup, I'm like, okay, so Brady Casper is going to hit like seventh through ninth in this lineup. <laughs> right, yeah. They, and and they, they like to keep bringing up, hey, we have 12, 13, 14 guys who we could all think could yeah. easily start in this lineup. And, and that's, the, that's just the quality of guy that is in this lineup right now. They're sure. certainly going to score enough runs to make it. Can they pitch is the big question. We're going to get a, a nice good look at, at Aiden May, the transfer from Arizona high school mm-hmm. teammate with Jacob Kamatz. Those two will share a rotation coming up for the first couple of weeks. What kind of adjustments is he going to make? I mean, what is the difference between how he was developed at Arizona and how he was developed sure. here in Corvallis? Like, is he going to take that step? This dude has explosive stuff, but where does it, where does it go from here? And how, you know, how critical is that going to be? For the, for the Beavers this season, are they going to be able to rely on him like they did with Cooper Jerpy right. a couple seasons ago? Are they going to have that guy on a Friday night? They always know Base, he's yeah. going to go out there and, and, and deal. That uh, We don't know that yet, but he certainly has the stuff to do it. So, I mean, it really all boils back to the pitching staff for me because the lineup seems about as given as it could possibly be. And before yeah, we'll get over to you, Ryan, because you obviously caught up with with Mitch Canham and Elijah Hainline and uh, Trent Caraway yesterday. Um, I'm curious, like again, TJ, that that you know that that that's a big statement because 2017, 2018 Oregon State baseball was perhaps the most elite two year run of any college baseball team in recent memory. Like what they did those two years was absolutely insane. Obviously didn't get the the title in 17, but I think if I'm remembering correctly, they were 53 and five or 53 and six, 56 and six at the end of the season. Thank you. See, so just wrap. So again, just mind boggling numbers. And then 18 wasn't quite as elite as far as just the wins losses, but obviously got the natty. So, um, you know, Oregon state fans have been, clamoring for a return trip to Omaha since that 2018 and of the teams who have kind of you know the the college baseball blue bloods and I would say at least in the 20th century Oregon State firmly in that mix they've been the team that's kind of had a drought for a little like you know we're getting on believe this would be 1920 21 22 23 be five years you know officially this would be the sixth year and you know with that like TJ for and it seems silly to like put a stamp on it like they have to go to Omaha but like for a program like Oregon State, you have to consistently get there. Maybe not win it, but you have to get there every couple of years to maintain that standard. Do you think there's a ton of pressure on them to get to Omaha this year? I think there's pressure every single season. I sure. don't know if that would be unique to to this scenario. And sure. I think everyone understands, the players understand this, the coaches understand that, people who just do college baseball understand it this way. I mean, winning in the postseason is hard. It and winning is. in baseball is, is very hard. It is accumulation of semi-random events that have <laughs> yeah. to go your way sure. to make it to the College World Series, right? A little bit easier when you're an overpowering overpowering great team. But, I mean, we could just look at it for the fact that it took uh, – how many years in a row did the number one team in college baseball not make the College World many Series? Many years, right? many years, like, yeah. Like Wake Forest when they went last year. That was the first one – the year before Tennessee didn't make it the year before that Arkansas didn't make it uh, right. the year before that um, UCLA didn't make it 2018 the number one I can't remember who the number one seed was that year but Stanford you, you get the Stanford, point. yeah yeah well Stanford was two they didn't make okay. it the number one um yeah I, I don't remember regardless, um, yeah, yeah. regardless I don't think that team made it 
right? Yeah. I think I, I'm pretty sure the Beavers that year were the number, the, the highest seed in, in that tournament. And if I'm yeah. wrong, yeah. But the point stands, it's hard to make it. You can be the best team in the country in the regular season and you're not going to make it because once you get into the postseason, all these teams are just so, 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 so good. And once you come up to peace with that and once you understand that, it makes it a whole lot easier to, to deal with the pressure of the postseason and winning in the regular season. I think the regular season will take care of itself. If they – if the roster proves to be as deep as it is and the lineup proves to be as deep as it is, they will not have an issue winning in the regular season and putting them in the right position to make a run to Omaha. And then from that point, A, you'd like to get a nice draw in regionals, nice locations at preferably a Goss Stadium for both the regionals and super regionals, and then a nice draw too on the other side of the bracket. So you don't have to worry about matching up with another elite team to to sort of bust you out of the bracket. And so I'll say it's, yeah, so, but from some of the conversations we've had here on our radio show with some of the players, sure, they understand the pressure. They know the expectations this season, and they seem very much at peace with it and ready to go. Yeah, it's, you know, going back to that 17-18 season, like that run in 17-18 was entirely driven by the hunger of those guys being left out of the tournament in 2016. So I'm, I'm, I'm very curious to see if there's that hunger from those guys who you know obviously it, it was a heartbreak in LSU last year obviously you know the Beavers felt like they had a chance to win that regional and like TJ mentioned you just ran out of arms you know and didn't yeah. just just didn't quite have it so, so I have an answer for you in 2018 actually so number one seed Florida did make it but just to give you an example like it's game three of a super regional and they won on one in 11 innings right I mean we're talking about the margins are like right this, and like you this, said there's right here there's always a, like you said, a factor of luck and just with baseball that doesn't exist uh, across the board. So that, like you said, that obviously plays into it too. I want to get uh, Ryan's thoughts on talking to uh, Mitch Canham and the guys yesterday. We've obviously talked to him, I think, three times now, uh, kind of getting ready for the start of the season. Uh, TJ mentioned, obviously, the 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 news of, um, you know, losing a pitcher for the year in Aiden Jimenez, and that obviously is a, a, a big miss. Um, but nevertheless, the pitching staff does have solid depth. I mean, it, like TJ said, major bummer, but I, I don't think it's like detrimental. Like it's it, it stinks, but I think they can overcome it. What's uh, what's kind of the mood of the team right now, and and how excited are they to uh, go down to a surprise? Obviously, for the matchups this weekend, they got New Mexico, uh, Minnesota, Cal State, Bakersfield, Minnesota again uh, down in surprise this weekend. How ready is the team? They're very excited to get down there. And like TJ was saying, the expectations, Heyline, he he reiterated it again uh, the other day of that's what the goal is. That's what the culture is. That's what the expectation is. That's what every guy is working towards and to. And I know they're, they're just excited to get out there and, and play some ball down, down in the sun. That's what, that's what Caraway yeah. said. He's like, Hey, look, I'm <laughs> no doubt. Cali boy. Like, the gray right now i don't really like but hey on friday we get to you know go play play some ball with the guys like that's what i'm looking forward to and really i think the biggest thing that canon is looking forward from this team is how do they respond to adversity uh in that in that first couple couple games there and kind of using that as a way of like hey we can you know use this when things aren't going our way in the season or propel us for our next few games this season too. And he was saying that like, he's seen teams that started fast those first couple of weeks of the season and they don't make it to the postseason at all. And he's seen sure. teams that have, uh, have started slow and, and they've made it 
made it to Omaha. So really that's like his biggest point of emphasis uh, in terms of injuries. The Aiden injury sucks yeah, big time because he was projected to have a big role. I know Leif Palmer is also injured too, uh, but he's expected to be back at a later point in time. His is not mm-hmm. really long-term, but uh, so they'll get him back. And I've heard good stuff about him. He's really talented freshman, uh, 6'6", uh, really, really yeah quality guy too um depending on when they can get him back sure uh in there but i think the biggest question i have is just what that depth is going to be how tested are they going to be in those game situations where that pitching is going to matter like we saw uh in in the baton rouge regional last year and yeah yeah that and and two of teams of gotta have it that 22 year i definitely think was one where that was a gotta have it type of year of where they just fell just short of making right. it back to omaha it's it's true i mean you know you, you go back to the last two years obviously that auburn series you know it was right there and oregon state was obviously at home and you know i i oregon state for the most part is one in those situations when you get yourself the super regionals at home uh oregon state's been pretty good in that regard and then obviously last year you know, being a, from Corvallis, I don't know if there's a tougher draw in the country than having to go to LSU. Like, you know, maybe um, uh, I think Mississippi State, like there's there's three or four college baseball stadiums that hold like 10,000 people and LSU is one of them. Right. So, yeah. I mean, that's that's a tough, tough place to go play, especially, you know, in summertime when it's starting to get the humidity and everything. So it, it's way better to make those southern teams come up to Corvallis uh, this time of year. But uh, definitely a lot of excitement, a lot that we're going to be able to see, and we'll obviously be podcasting a whole lot more uh, throughout the season as we kind of get to uh, see what the team is. Uh, I want to close the podcast on a bit of a fun note, guys, and and want to throw this out there to you guys as we are right now. TJ, you're obviously very dialed into the uh, Major League with uh, your Marine Layer podcast, so I'm curious your thoughts on this. Decent chance Oregon State has a number, another number one overall pick come this uh, Decent chance. This June draft, I mean, yeah. yeah what do you think? What's your top five there? for sure. The top five for Travis for sure. I I would be floored if he doesn't go top five. Yeah. Top three probably. The the only issue is there's this kid at West Virginia, JJ Weatherholt, who is if probably better, arguably better sure. than Travis Fazana is. As good as Travis is, I mean, JJ Weatherholt is. He's he's pretty yeah. unbelievable, and I've sure. seen some some recruiting rankings ranking him, or recruiting rankings, some draft rankings sure. of him above Travis. And yeah. the team's looking for a middle infielder. It's going to be him, uh, him over Travis. I believe he plays a little bit more shortstop than Travis does, and if he plays shortstop, value goes up a little sure, higher, sure, sure. even if the bat's the same. But I mean, it's that's no discount to Travis Bazzana. Like there's no weakness in Travis Bazzana's game, which no. is incredible, right? In he uh, all, like the contact skills, the power skills, the defense, the base running, the leadership, the makeup, I mean he's got all of it. Yeah. And if he goes out and sets the bar even higher, then we could have a, be having a different conversation once June and July rolls around in the draft shows. Sure. But uh for now, I mean at least how it sits in top 5, yeah. Yes. What is? And I'm curious. That's not. I don't even know if that. I don't even think that's a question. That's a. That's a certainty. For for both of you guys, uh, we'll go ahead and start with Ryan here. I'm I'm just curious. What is that? From your perspective, what does that do for the recruiting of your program? To say, hey, 2019, Adley Rutschman went number one overall, and just a few years later, we're going to put another guy in the top five. Like, is that just the best recruiting tool you could imagine? Oh, absolutely. And I think too, Hainline was saying that, that when they won the title in 2018, that like 
you notice those those type of type of things and that's something that plays in decision for guys that might yeah. not have been recruited by Oregon State out of co- out of high school for them to come here and that's definitely a great pitch that that a lot of high schoolers can look at and be like hey look hey look th- these these guys here Adley Rushman Michael Conforto yeah. Pat- even all the above Travis Pizano, like like it's it's a it's a like a, these guys have played here at Oregon State they've developed really well and they're playing at the next level and I want to play at the next level and I want to come here to right. be able to do that. Right. And I think that's that itself is going to be my barometer for how good this team is. Because again, you go back to that 2018 team. I know I'm going to miss somebody, but you had, you know, obviously Nick Madrigal go really high in that draft. You had Trevor Larnett go really high in that draft. You had Caden Grenier go really high in that draft. Uh, I know I'm forgetting somebody off the top. Stephen Kwan. Stephen Kwan went in that yeah. draft. I think Michael Gretler went in that draft. Like basically that, like you look at it, you're like, oh yeah, no wonder they won the title. There were six or seven first round or whatever it was, you know, guys in the high pros. Um, yeah. High, high picks. So I'm curious to see who else. And like TJ was saying, does the entire lineup boast that kind of 2018 ability now with 2018, I will say this, Oregon state had dominant pitching, obviously had, had pitching, you know, 2018, we think of the offense and whatnot, but up until Omaha where things kind of shifted, they needed a bit more offense. The arms were getting tired. Pitching is what won them a lot of games that year. So I think that's mm-hmm. going to be an absolutely key thing to keep an eye on as well. Yeah. Go ahead, yeah. TJ. And um, you just go back to luck. Why right. did they win the title? Drop I mean, ball. I mean, you know, I like to think that. that is luck. I, I like don't to know think if you could talk around that one. I, I'm, I like to think that those <laughs> I, I, Arkansas guys maybe just missed that day of like baseball training camp and didn't really know how to handle a fly ball. And, uh, you know, hey, possible. those uh, them Razorbacks are going to be thinking about that one for uh, a long time. I'm sure if we were going to talk to an Arkansas fan, they'd be like, yeah, remember that 2018 World Series? Yeah, yeah. good times. But uh, nevertheless, uh, that'll go ahead and wrap up this edition of the podcast. Big thanks to uh, Dylan Callahan Crowley for joining on the early segment. And then obviously TJ Mathewson and Ryan Harlan for joining me on this segment guys uh, enjoy the games this weekend we'll obviously come back here in uh, a short amount of time and talk uh, more hoops more baseball i know it's going to be an exciting spring session as well so uh, big thanks to you guys and uh, looking forward to uh, talking again soon also too on the horizon as well so that's going to be another thing to look forward to absolutely talked about yeah absolutely and again big thanks to everyone for uh, tuning into this edition of the edge podcast stay locked to beaversedge.com for all the latest uh, from the entire staff and uh, thanks again for watching this episode